So I had in my late 20s and early 30s what some psychologists now charitably call a training wheels marriage. <laughs> it's a real thing. Look it up. <laughs> it lasted only a few years. That wasn't the intention going into it to have a training wheels marriage. I can tell you that. Um, but the truth is we didn't really grow into knowing each other because we didn't know ourselves at that time. And so we were living in Florida when we decided to get divorced with sadness, with the sense of failure, but also understanding that this was not the greatest tragedy in the world. Florida is a no-fault divorce state. Sometime I will tell you the story of my dad's first marriage many, many years ago, 50 years ago, when he had to fly to Juarez, Mexico because he lived in New York and couldn't get a divorce. But that's a different story for a different message at a different time. History of marriage in America time. Not now. So Florida, no kids, no property owned jointly, no fault. And so we showed up that morning in the judge's chambers in downtown Fort Lauderdale. And here's the interesting thing about Fort Lauderdale, which is very close to where we were living at the time. Um, it's like half like deeply cosmopolitan international city. And half like backwater, good old boy kind of place that still is like hung over from the 1950s and 1960s when it would be invaded by spring breakers two weeks a year and then would kind of go back to sleep for the rest of the time. And so we walked into the judge's chambers and we could see immediately that we had a good old boy judge. He had a lot of uh, hunting and fishing photos up on his wall and we sat around his large desk with a few other, you know, other folks who were also looking for no-fault divorces. So, like, I'm just kind of set the scene here. It wasn't the happiest place in the world, you know. Um, but my soon-to-be ex-wife and I were doing this amicably. And he came to us, and he asked us some basic questions to make sure we had filled out the paperwork recently. And he saw that we were both clergy. Now, remember, I said he was a good old boy, so he turned to me. He didn't address her. He turned to me and said, what do you think of, sir? What do you think of... What God has joined, no, no man put asunder. <laughs> and inwardly, I'm like, dude, I just came here to get divorced, man. <laughs> Oi. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm going to make this as easy and as painless as it can be. <laughs> so, you know, again, he didn't address it to my soon-to-be ex-wife, who was just as much clergy as I am. And so I thought for a second, okay, what's going to get me out of this as painlessly as quickly? This all took about five seconds, by the way. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. <laughs> You're going to quote some BS marriage liturgy? I'm going to quote some scripture to you. So, you know, I can play that game. And he kind of nodded and said, okay, and then signed the paperwork. <laughs> the deed was done. And so uh, my now ex-wife and I walked out into the bright Florida sunlight and we hugged. Like I said, it was sad and amicable. And we exchanged handwritten letters that we had both prepared for each other. Neither knew the other was going to do this, but it just worked out that way. So I went home, took some deep breaths, wondered what my life was going to be, and read her letter. It was a deeply gracious letter. It's somewhere in my collected papers. What I most remember, however, was this line. Her words. I regret nothing. 
I wouldn't give anything back. I regret nothing. Those are grace-filled words. And I thought of them as I was preparing the message for today, for this Spirit Flicks series about deep meaning within the movies and this movie arrival, which I really, truly loved. And yes, in a moment, I am going to give away a surprise. I apologize. There's no other way I could do it. If you have to leave now, leave now. You'll be missing a lot of wisdom, but, you know, it's okay. Um, It's still worth watching, even after I give away the surprise. So it's about this character, played by the actress Amy Adams, who is a uh, linguist, a translator, because uh, she's called into service because what has happened is that at 12 locations across the globe, including here in America, alien spacecraft have come down to Earth, bearing seemingly a message, a message for humankind in symbolic form offered by those two shadowy figures in the back that Amy Adams calls uh, Abbott and Costello because one's kind of slim, the other's kind of round. It works. And here's the problem. This symbolic language is nothing at all like English. And people worldwide are deeply anxious, anxious about what's going to happen. And at one point... When this translation of these symbols is going on, there's a mistranslation. And so the word that we eventually find out is we're offering you a tool becomes mistranslated as weapon. (laughs) And people start freaking out. (laughs) In fact, one rogue soldier, because this is very much a military operation, sets off a bomb that injures and in time will kill. I forget which one, Abbott or Costello. And so the anxiety level is very, very high. And it comes down to Amy Adams' character as the linguist, as the translator, as the person who can exist between the worlds of misunderstanding to create a bridge. And she saves the world. She saves the world because this gift, this tool that Abbott and Costello are offering is this. The symbolic language is the ability to tell the future. Is that these alien folks know that 3,000 years from now, their society, their culture will be in jeopardy. And they know that they will come to us for help 3,000 years from now. Good news that we'll still be around, I think. And so they want to invest in the relationship at this point by offering this gift, this tool, this ability to see the future. By translating it, Amy Adams forestalls the massive worldwide attack that would have begun because of the fearful uncertainty of facing what is unknown. And so here's the other really interesting part, maybe just 15% of the movie. Interspersed throughout it, we see what at first we believe, although there are clues, if you look closely enough, what we think are flashbacks of Amy Adams getting married, having a child, and then receiving that most devastating news that any parent could get, that her child has a terminal illness, and we see her child's death even before she becomes a teenager. But this is the reveal. 
It is not a flashback. It's a flash forward. What the aliens give her is the opportunity to see what her future will be. She knows that she will give birth to the most precious being she will ever know. And she will love her into growing up. And she will also love her to the point of putting her in the grave. Seeing the future, she elects it all. She regrets nothing. The love, the loss, she regrets nothing. Imagine living with that knowledge. And the truth is, on a certain level, yeah, the specifics of our lives, we cannot see the future. But on a general level, we absolutely can. We absolutely can see the future. It's what wise teachers of all traditions have been telling us for millennia, since human beings have started to become spiritual creatures, which is really the first time we ever experienced awe and ever experienced pain. What clear-headed, clear-eyed, open-hearted teachers have always told us that there is baked into the cake of this being alive a certain amount of pain for all of us, and there is love and connection and belonging, and that someday all of us will die. At the most general level, we can absolutely see the future. And that knowing this, this is the opportunity for all of us. Maybe on this side of the grave, whatever is beyond, who knows? On this side, that maybe we will choose to come fully alive. Maybe we will allow our hearts to break, and so our hearts will be broken open in the same way that the seeds that we just offered to the new member class only become the promise of what they hold by breaking through the shell that contains them and their potentiality and their promise. This is what it is to be human, to awaken to this future that we know in one form or another is going to come to absolutely all of us. This is one of my favorite articulations of this teaching from Fred Beekner, the Presbyterian minister and novelist. He said simply, here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. You know what the most important word in that phrase is? Will. <laughs> it's not beautiful and terrible things may happen. It's not beautiful and terrible things happen. <laughs> Beautiful, beautiful, and terrible things will happen. In general, the largest view of humanity, we know the beautiful and terrible will happen. Right now, it's happening, these things, to some of you. All of this is happening to someone, somewhere, someplace. And that's, of course, the next thing we know is that there's a totally unequal distribution of the beautiful and the terrible, right? Totally unequal distribution. And so one of the responses to this is that thing that sounds like wisdom, but it's really just cynicism and world weariness and a total, total lack of moral and spiritual imagination. Life is unfair. 
as if that's supposed to end the conversation. That's a place we start from. That's not a place where we end up. Life is unfair, a total failure of moral imagination. I remember a friend of mine from years ago when I was uh, living in Florida. Her older brother was born with a genetic defect, something that inhibited the growth of his lungs. And at the time that he was born, he was given about 10 years to live. And so when her parents were sitting with the doctor who offered this devastating news, this doctor with a total failure of moral imagination said, one of you eventually will wind up an alcoholic and the other of you will wind up in a mental hospital and you will be divorced. It happens. <laughs> Life's unfair. What am I going to do about it? Now, here's the thing. My friend's older brother, he did die. But he lived into his 30s. And her parents were married for decades. Became advocates for other people born with genetic conditions. The beautiful and the terrible is completely unequally distributed. But that's the point at which our lives matter the most. This is the moment where we can choose to become hands of the holy in which we can allow our lives to be vessels, to be charged full with the charge of the soul in ways in which the great romantic poet and mystic William Blake said, it is right, it should be so. We were made for joy and woe. And when this we rightly know, safely through the world we go. The full measure of joy and woe for all of us. We already know the future. It's just the details which matter so much that we have to figure out and more importantly show up for. So on this new member Sunday, in this community in which we talk about spiritual practices, or Jessica talk about, very cool, finding the way the mindfulness practice kind of fastened into you, Mindfulness, yoga, journaling, running, all these different ways of coming alive. But really, there's one spiritual practice above all else, and it is that presence practice. Showing up. <laughs> when we choose to join in spiritual community with each other, we are making a choice. To open ourselves to the beautiful and the terrible, and to open up our hearts to a story wider than just our own solitary story. This came up in those new member classes we just did talked about this before. You know, so many people describe themselves, understandably, as you know, spiritual, not religious. Get it? Makes sense. Religious communities, for all kinds of justifiable reasons, have the worst reputations in the world. <laughs> and still, community matters because, okay, spiritual but not religious, but disconnected or connected. Part of community, opening our hearts to the beautiful and terrible that will befall us all, or going through this alone, turning off, turning away, or turning toward. And recognizing this is most profoundly how we grow. And yes, like Amy Adams' character in Arrival, we regret nothing. Opening our hearts to who we are. All of us. All of it. The words I offered to Reverend Lee, oh, wow, 
was this more than a year and a half ago now, the charge to the minister, to the newly ordained Reverend Lee, was let your ministry break your heart. That's for all of us, though. Let this ministry break our hearts. Let this congregation break our hearts like that seed needs to break open so that it can grow and deliver its potential and its promise. So that we can recognize what happens when we truly together shoulder one another's burdens and share each other's blessings. Because in this space, this is where the growth really happens. This is where we learn presence and fidelity and compassion. Because becoming a part of spiritual community is a covenant. A promise to be there for and with each other. With all of it. And so this is something I used to do when I used to worship lead back in the old, old, old days when it was just like a one-man show up here. I'm so glad it's not that anymore. Um, sometimes I used to ask as a kind of practice of inventory, um, how many of you are kind of coming here feeling today, feeling like really happy, really excited, really up, really chargeful, and how many of you kind of walked in here dragging your sorry carcass? Because life is tough. So I'd like to do that inventory right now. So how many of you walked in here today, maybe bouncing up those steps, feeling absolutely amazing? Can I see a show of hands? All right. Now, those of you who don't have your hands, no, no, keep them up, keep them up, keep them up. Those of you who didn't raise your hands, look around. Okay. How many of you dragged yourself in here today and life is rough right now? Can you see a show of hands? Look around. Please look around. Connect with each other. <laughs> Let's do that once more. Charge full, happy folks, arms up. Everyone look around, okay? Pick one person out to talk to who you don't know before. All right? Arms down. Other folks. All right. Look around, folks. Look around. Connect with one another, please. This is the covenant of spiritual community that we enter into, member or non-member. This is what it is just to show up here today. Maybe you're here at Wellsprings for the first time in forever. And maybe it'll be a final time here at Wellsprings. Today is an opportunity to have the presence practice. Different kind of covenant, of course, is marriage. And I already talked about that. My first one didn't really take. <laughs> and when uh, I did weddings, I did a lot of them early in seminary because I had loans to pay off. And because I was in Florida and Florida is destination wedding land. Um, Language that I still include in my wedding literature that I kind of offer to couples who are looking to get married. There's some language in there that talks about being willing to suffer with and for each other. To suffer with and for each other. And early on, because I really didn't know this in my ministry yet, and I certainly didn't know it in my marriage at the time. Now now I know it in my ministry. Now I know it in my marriage. I had a couple who came to me and wanted to do their wedding. And they said, we like all the stuff you sent, but, you know, would, would you take out that stuff about suffering with and for each other? We think that's, that's a downer. <laughs> we don't like that. We, think that. we think that's a bummer. We want this to be up. We want this to be happy. And I folded like a cheap suit in the south, in the south Florida rainstorm. Just yeah, totally collapsed. But now I wouldn't. I've actually had people slightly push back on that and I tell them why. And no one said no to me after that. I say that's in there because if we don't say that, you're deluding yourselves. 
You're actually setting yourself up for failure. You're not seeing the future accurately. Our truest, deepest covenants allow our hearts to be broken open and to be filled in that space of openness with the great compassion. With the great compassion that changes us and grows us and awakens us. And so, ending today about this movie about aliens coming down, I thought about this story from at Wellsprings, one of our favorite teachers here, Thich Nhat Hanh. And this is from his book called Fear, Essential Wisdom for Getting Through the Storm so we don't have to fold like cheap suits in the South Florida heat. And Thich Nhat Hanh tells a story. Imagine that two astronauts go to the moon and while they're there, there is an accident and they are told there is no chance for them to get back to Earth and they have only two days of oxygen left. If you would ask them, what is your deepest wish? They would say to be back home on planet Earth, walking on the land. That would be enough for them. They wouldn't want anything else. They wouldn't want celebrity. They wouldn't want fame. They wouldn't want riches. They wouldn't want power. They would just want to be back here walking on this earth, listening to the sounds of nature, holding the hands of those most beloved to them and gazing up at that gorgeous moon. And he concludes, we who are not fortunately lost on the moon, never to get back home to earth. This is the invitation for us today. We are on the earth. Here on this precious planet. Duh, here's the world. (laughs) And here is the world as well too. Our own lives, a microcosm of all of it. All of it, the beautiful and the terrible will eventually happen to all of us. And right now it's happening to some of us. Can we allow that to educate our hearts as our hearts break open and flow forth with love? May we recognize that membership, joining, belonging, (laughs) that's not really what this all is about. This place is a school for the soul. May we grow wise and loving hearts. Amen. And may you live in blessing. Can you pray with me? Breathing in and breathing out. Feet right now, this moment on this earth. This precious place to be. The mysteriousness of our origins. Still so hidden. And yes, the specifics of what is to be to come. Don't exactly know. And yet what we do know here, here is the world, full, pregnant with love and loss and life. Here is the world. No place else. If we're rushing, maybe we can stop for a moment and ask ourselves, what are we rushing toward? To ask ourselves through this question, here is the world. The beautiful and the terrible, all of it. Divine, holy, hidden heart right now waiting for us to awaken to it. Today, may we be a present people and awaken. Amen.